Hey, welcome to episode eight of the of the Draft Champions podcast. I'm Zach, uh, and this is uh, and I'm here with Mike, my co-host. Um, you can find us at Zach Roto and Mike underscore Curland on Twitter. Um, and here we have a special guest today, Ray Butler of Prospects Three Sixty Five. Ray and 365 are one of the first sources of prospect analysis that I turned to when I first started um, getting into fantasy baseball. And I'm in a ton of dynasty leagues, so it's helped me a, a lot. And um, the material is second to none. Um, you can find Ray on Twitter at Prospects365, and he also runs Prospects365.com. And there's free content there that's unbelievable from the top prospects lists to deep dives to now they're even using advanced metrics. There's actually now hard hit data in the minors. And I, I think I saw a recent article on that. And it also has some really unique perspectives. There's currently a promo on the, um, on the VIP package. So I'd check that out. Um, I'm also in one of Ray's 20 team dynasty leagues, which is a hundred dollar buy-in and it's deep. So I'm drafting players that I hadn't heard of like more than 10 minutes ago before I drafted them, but it's fun. Um, we're currently also in an NFBC draft together, which we may get into a bit. But in this episode, we're going to look into a, a, mock, a mock draft that we did, and it was geared just for prospects as they relate to the draft champions leagues. And then we're going to get to some of Ray's guys, including like his guys. So his guys that um, including, um, and maybe we will, we'll focus on prospect prospects. So Ray, how you doing? Tell me, um, tell me how you got into prospects and, 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 and the analysis and how you started your site and um, also high stakes games. And um, most importantly, tell me uh, how Lucille's doing. Well, first of all, I appreciate y'all having me. Um, and congratulations on the, you know, the, just the enormity of the success that y'all's podcast has had so early. You know, it kind of being a really new podcast, it's really gotten popular in a hurry and that kind of speaks to what y'all are doing. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. And it's because of people like you that were having the success that we never thought we would have so quickly. Oh, thanks for the kind words because of people like me, I know. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, Ray, we do appreciate all you guys taking the time to, uh, you know, put forth the extra effort to help us get going as well. So really is a big thank you to you, like you said. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, it seems like every every podcast I'm on, I get asked what Zach just asked as far as, you know, how I got started. It's actually, it's a, it's a weird story. Uh, you know, I played baseball my entire life growing up. I kind of fell out of love with baseball after high school. I went to Mississippi State, who, you know, every year they have one of the better college baseball teams in the country. Kind of fell back in love with baseball thanks to fantasy baseball. Uh, joined a league with several of my friends in Mississippi State. And uh, it's kind of a deep – I wouldn't call it a dynasty, league, a dynasty league, but it's a deep keeper league. And – you know, there were probably 50 prospects that were rostered when I got into the league, and I didn't know the first thing about a prospect at, at whatsoever. Um, so, of course, the first place I went to try and learn was Twitter, and I quickly kind of figured out that, you know, there was kind of a lack of information out there on prospects, and, you know, it, it started with, you know, me tweeting out kind of daily statistics from some of the more popular prospects, and it didn't take long before I gained a little bit of a following and that blossomed into people, you know, um, kind of supporting my interest in starting a blog. And, you know, two years later, uh, it's looking like 2020 may be the first year that the site gets over a million page views and, you know, we're, we're rolling full speed. Wow, that's, that's incredible. It's, it's, it's fantastic, man. Like all it takes, if you put in the effort and the hard work, 
people seem to recognize that relatively quickly. And I don't know about you, but two years, although I'm, I know I can understand the grind behind the scenes and all that, but in two years, it's real, it's rather impressive to get, get, to get such a far away. And I know uh, such a, I guess far away is really poor English, but you get my point. And it's just testament to the amount of work you put into it. So it really is. Uh, congratulations on that. And I, we, we, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot. It seems like there's just a lot more to come on your end. So wait, did you say two years? That's all I said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I feel, I feel, I feel <laughs> like because I've been playing in Dynasty League for long, longer than two years, I feel like Prospects 365 is one of the staples that I've always gone to. Like it just feels like it's always been there. <laughs> Honestly, appreciate it. We launched, uh, believe it was June 2017. Wow. So, wow. You, so two, two and a half. So, yeah, but still, okay, so we'll say two and a half years. That's still honestly very impressive. And like I said, we see it's growing every day a little bit. So keep up the good work, man, really. It, it helps us all out. So we appreciate it. So what about Lucille? Mike, do you know, who, you know what we're talking about? No idea. Maybe. Okay, so, um, and, you know, this is a testament. Zach, you mentioned it at the start. Um, you know, our VIP package for 2020, it's, uh, it allows people who purchase it, they get access to my top 260 prospects for 2020. They get access to all of my high value active players, my guys for 2020, they get access to my starting, uh, starter pitcher rankings, starting pitcher rankings and, uh, my prospect obsession. So basically VIP members get all of my content for the preseason a month before it goes on the website. Um, and I recently, he was talking about the promo. I recently discounted. Originally the price of the package was $25. I've dropped it to 20. Um, you still have about two weeks. You can buy it before that uh, content begins to trickle out on the site. Uh, and it's, you know, last year was the first year that I did something like it. It was fairly successful. Uh, we were still kind of in the, we were still growing uh, very, very quickly last year. It's been more constant this year. Uh, but I've had, you know, just an um, amazing outpour of people who are interested in my stuff. Uh, I consider myself extremely lucky uh, as far as that is concerned. But, you know, that allowed me, I was actually able to uh, pull the trigger, no pun intended, on <laughs> uh, a, a pretty expensive radar gun that tracks uh, velocity of pitchers and also spin rate which is a gigantic data point. It's hopefully it'll give me something that not many other places have. Uh, and that's just a testament to the support of all of my followers, all of our readers. Uh, and I, I hope that they see and they know that I'm pouring it back into the site so we can continue ascending to, you know, heights that I didn't know were imaginable just a short time ago. Okay. Awesome. So I see, I knew I saw the picture you posted today or was it today or a day ago? It says I one day it was ago. yesterday. So I yesterday I saw, I saw the picture of the radar gun. I just now saw that you named her Lucille. So oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, honestly, is that official? It actually looks like a Lucille. Like I'm not just saying that for some reason the name fits. Yeah. It's got, it, she's got a lot of heart. So. Yeah. Have you, have you, I guess I'm, I'm assuming you haven't used it yet. Uh, well, I actually, I coach high school baseball in West Tennessee where I live. I'm actually the, the pitching coach on our local high school. I, I teach middle school math. That's my everyday job. Uh, and I coach high school baseball. I'm, I'm our pitching coach. So I actually took it to practice today. We had about four guys who were throwing a bullpen. And I actually used it for the first time with them. Uh, now, of course, they're not, you know, 67 miles an hour is a whole lot different than 96, 97 that I'll see this spring and summer. Uh, but it's, it was just – it was still surreal to just, you know, have that kind of tool – 
uh, because of, you know, a site that I started kind of on a whim two and a half years ago. No, that is awesome. And I do like, I can appreciate it on this side of things, you know, I've considered trying to build on what I've started on my end as far as um, the other podcast. And I can understand taking the money, reinvesting it. Cause man, that's all, that's what I've been trying to do. Like a little bit of money I do make off some of the stuff I've been putting out this for last year it's been seriously just reinvesting it. And it's, and honestly, like I said, if you, if people really seem receptive to that, people are willing to give you like, they're willing to support your work with a little bit of monetary value and they love seeing that you're reinvesting it. So, I mean, that's awesome. And that just shows that you're really dedicated to this stuff and it's more than just fantasy for you. That's kind yeah, of, cool to see. yeah, it's impressive and very impressive what you've been able to do in such a short period of time. And there's a lot, there's, there's other, there's other, there's other sources of prospect information out there, but I think you have one of the biggest followings like on Twitter at least. And what you've just told me about your website is, is very impressive. So that's awesome. So did, you said you played baseball before? Yeah. Um, what position I, did you play? Were you, well, were you also I, a kind I was kind of a utility guy. I think in high school, you know, I, I um, blew out both my knees. I blew out my left knee when I was a freshman. I blew out my right knee when I was a junior. Oof. Um, I think throughout my high school career, I played every position other than shortstop or center field. And I always, <laughs> ma- I always make the joke that I played every non-athletic position. <laughs> that, you know, that kind of covered the, all the positions that I played. Um, you know, I had you know, some very, very small school opportunities to go play in college, but um, I kind of had my eyes set on Mississippi State. I just wanted to go and be a student and enjoy SEC football and SEC baseball, and that's what I did, and I, I don't regret it whatsoever. That's awesome. Be, being from Canada, baseball is obviously not nearly as big. So I did play baseball in high school, but um, it's just you, you wouldn't have the quality of talent in Canada that you would in the United States. Um, yeah, so I pitched, and it was fun. Now I just play softball at my age. <laughs> you're so old. Stop it. 36. Thirty-six. Too old. Too old. I'm too old for a uh, too old for uh, hardball. That's for sure. Well, I mean, Mike, how old are you? I'm only twenty-nine. Ray's, I mean, Ray's, Ray's the youngest out of all of us. Is he really? Yeah, yeah I'm. I'm twenty-seven. Wow. Okay. Well, good for you, man. That's awesome. I thought. I thought I was the baby. I'm usually the baby on most places I go. You know, <laughs> but it's cool. Like, honestly, I love it because although there is a little bit of an age gap here as far as like between Zach and us, because he's the old man. But it just shows that like people not say really. baseball. <laughs> people say baseball is just not a young man's sport, man. I see, like a lot of the guys. Like there's a lot of people in their twenties uh, doing this type of stuff, and that's like I don't know. Maybe we see it more than the average person, but it's it's very much alive in the youth. It's just a matter of getting younger kids playing more, maybe. But hey, anytime, any place, Mike. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll play you one-on-one I'll pitch to you I guarantee a strikeout you're going to need a walker to get to the pitcher's mound though <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anytime, any place come here when it's snowing yeah. I'll, str- I'll strike you out, no problem all the way to Canada, yeah from Florida, good one anyway, we can move on, let's get to the stuff you want to hear <laughs> okay, so let's start with um, maybe we'll just take a quick look at the draft that we're in right now We're in, because this is an NFBC obviously focused podcast um I picked from, I'm just looking, I picked seventh and Ray picked ninth. So we're just, I'm just like, and we're currently in round 29. So we're quite, we're quite a ways into this draft. I don't think we're going to go through um, all of the picks that we have, but um, Ray, why don't you, um, why don't you take us through some of your picks um, and highlight some of the ones that you, that you really liked and um, anything that's notable. Um, 
yeah, like I see you took Trey Turner in the first round. Maybe talk about that a bit, but um, um, yeah, talk about your favorite picks or things that surprised that ones that you were surprised fell to you. Uh, you know what I mean? Sure. So uh, this is my third DC of the off season. Uh, I've completed a 150. I'm in the home stretch of a 400, and I'm also in our league that we're drafting in now. Um, I've tried to tinker with my process a little bit as far as how I map out my team throughout the draft. Uh, last year, I was heavy on, you know, a spreadsheet with, you know, uh, percentile thresholds and things like that. I tried, I wanted to see what it would be like to get away from that this preseason with some of my extremely early drafts before uh, we dive into some of the more higher stake leagues and TGFBI and things like that. Um, and I, you know, in my first 150 DC, I just, you know, I, I kind of wanted to go on feel. I wanted to see if I could feel my way through a draft, if I could take advantage of value when it fell to me and construct a team that way. And then retro, uh, retroactively, I went in and I ran my projections on the team that I drafted and I had not done the job that I thought I had done. I, you know, looking back, I, I didn't like my draft as much as I thought I did while I was drafting that team. Uh, so I went back with in the 400 that's just about finished up and in the 150 that we're in, I've gone back to my the projections that I run and my approaching these threshold, the 80th percentile and all the categories, things like that. And honestly, the league that me and you are in, the 150, it is, I believe it is my favorite team that I've drafted so far this offseason. Oh, I, find, I find myself either wanting to draft third, which means I'm going to end up with Christian Yelich, Acuna, or Trout. And, you know, I've seen it more often this offseason. More times than not, that's been Mike Trout. And if I can get Mike Trout third, I can live with that. Like, the, the guy in our league that drafted third, he started Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, Chris Sale, Aaron Nola, Clayton, Kers Clayton Kershaw. That is one heck of a start, in my opinion. And if I can't uh, draft third, I kind of like kind of the six hole because I've seen Mookie fall to six more often than not, and I really like him there. And if I can't get six, then I really like ninth because that's where I can draft Trey Turner. Uh, and I got him at ninth in our league. Uh, he's a big-time target for me in the first round, especially uh, with a lot of people. It seems like a lot of people are prioritizing the third slot in the uh, Kentucky, uh, Kentucky Derby style. You know, I also went for sixth, got outbid there. So I, I'm fine with ninth. I started Trey Turner, then uh, Clevenger. I will say, other than – being able to land Trey Turner in the first round. I remember specifically uh, in the eighth round, I found myself really uh, agonizing over Denelson Lamette or Josh Donaldson. Uh, I had gone heavy with position players throughout the first portion of the draft. My only pitchers I had drafted were Mike Clevenger and Noah Syndergaard. I really, you know, at first when I got on the clock, I thought I was going to draft Josh Donaldson. And I kind of talked myself out of it. I thought to myself that I needed a third starting pitcher. Uh, in my opinion, Lamette had the most upside of anybody still on the board. Um, I agree, I agree I, on the upside for sure. So I pulled the trigger on him and I thought, well, that probably means that I'm going to lose out on Josh Donaldson, but I hope that maybe Miguel Sano will fall to me in the <laughs> ninth round. Not if you're drafting with uh, not if you're drafting with Zach. I can almost guarantee he took him in that draft. Right. right? Well, you yep. know my you know I in my opinion Donaldson is a bit of a value even in the eighth inning or I'm sorry not eighth inning eighth round. I just, I think 
you know, now that we know he is going to Minnesota, I think he's going to kill it. He's also going to just pile up at bats and plate appearances. Uh, I thought Josh would be taken shortly after I grabbed the Nelson. And it turns out that, Zach, you ended up grabbing Sano in the ninth, but Josh Donaldson fell all the way to me in the ninth. And I think that that two, is my, Two spots after. Yeah, two spots after. I think that's probably my favorite pick in this draft. Uh, and then I was able to grab Justin Turner uh, three rounds later. You know, uh, I guess he kind of gets, uh, you know, penalized a little bit because of the age and, you know, he hadn't played a full season in a while. But anytime he's on the field, he's fantastic. Um, if I were to want to kind of nitpick something I'm not overly thrilled with, I really like Hector Neris as a first closer. I'm, I'm one of those people I'm never going to reach and I'm not going to overdraft relief pitching. I'm going to look for value in the middle and late rounds. So I really liked Hector Neris as my first closer, and I really like Giovanni Gallegos as a pitcher. But I, do, I don't trust St. Louis to make him the closer. And there's just so many arms in that bullpen and so many directions they could go uh, with their closer in 2020. I grabbed Gallegos in the 14th as my second closer but I'm a little bit iffy on whether or not he's actually going to be the guy. And if he, if he is the guy, then I really, really think this team is going to pop. If not, I've grabbed uh, Sean Anderson for the Giants, and I'm also – I'll look to target kind of some speculative closer, you know, maybe a Yimmy Garcia later on in the final rounds of this draft. But, you know, like I said, I think the, the league that we're in, the 150 that we're drafting together, I think that this is my favorite team I've – this yeah, I think we really went to battle with each other on some of these picks because uh, like the two things that you've highlighted is the Sano and Donaldson. And I'm always targeting Sano in these drafts. And um, um, one of the most more recent ones that um, that I drafted and uh, Sano's ADP is around 130 and Donaldson's, I think, closer, correct me if I'm wrong, to around 100. So their ADP is, right. yeah, it's, it's around that. And in one of the two ones that I did most recently, um, the person right before me, um, I was going to, I was actually, I, I struggle between Donaldson and Sano. I just love Sano. Um, as I took him in your dynasty league too. Um, but Sano was sniped before Donaldson in my other league. So I, I ended up with Donaldson. And then this time I actually took Sano over Donaldson, which I'm not sure is the right move, but we, that's what you just were discussing. So you were, you were obviously very happy with that. I, I was also happy with Sano. And then when you took Giovanni Gallegos, um, I had, um, at that point, I, I had Liam Hendricks and Hansel Robles as my closers. Um, and I wanted to get, uh, I wanted to get a third closer in that round 14 um, area. And what my plan was, I, w- I wanted to get Gallegos and Carlos Martinez to sort of handcuff each other. So I would have, um, when I wrapped around on the turn, but you took, you took Gallegos before that. So I ended up going with Carlos Martinez. So our teams are very, they kind of mirror each other in, in, in theme, I guess, in, in those rounds. Um, and another thing I want to say is that Julio Arias pick that you have in the 11th round. I love that pick. Well, I think, you, sh- you should have taken Oberg. I'm looking at your draft a little bit here. You should have taken Oberg over Carmart because I think Carmart's going to start on, unfortunately. He's going to get traded to Colorado and close for Arnardo. And Oberg is going <laughs> to not. Okay. Either way, but the Sano thing, man, I think. I, in a vacuum, I like Donaldson better as well. I think the ADP shows it, and there's more track record. More even, he's even uh, crazy as it sounds. I think he's less of a health concern, which is nuts because you know Donaldson and his calf has been an issue. But 
in a vacuum like Donaldson more, but when there's an overall component and you're going to get a guy in snow who can arguably lead the league in home runs, I can understand taking him in with this, you know, with the fact that it's NFBC and the overall aspect. So that's a whole nother part of this game that people not forget, but maybe forget to like bake into prices because taking Sano over Donaldson isn't all that crazy, especially when you consider that overall aspect. So. Right. And I, I think that I've, so right now, the way that I kind of evaluate ADP right now on NFBC, I've got the, the threshold right now I've got is from Christmas to today. And, sh- you know, soon I'll update that from New Year's Day to today. But right now I've got it from Christmas. So right now through the however many DCs have been completed since then, JD has an ADP of 105.6. Sano has an ADP of 132.5. But I'd be willing to bet by the time opening day rolls around that we will be able to find even better value on Sano. Because I guarantee you, maybe perhaps not on – uh, NFBC, but there are people right now thinking, okay, Miguel Sano is without a position. Josh Donaldson just signed in Minnesota. What's going to happen with Miguel Sano? Nelson Cruz is the DH in Minnesota. Well, what's going to end up happening is Sano is going to be probably their everyday first baseman. And if you look at Sano's batted ball statistics from last season, he was one of the, the most elite hitters in all of baseball. 100th percentile hard hit rate, 100th percentile exit velocity. And, you know, I've, I've toyed with the idea of making one of my bold predictions for this season that Miguel Sano is going to hit 50 home runs. He just needs to stay healthy. It's funny that you say that, uh, Ray, because I just uh, recorded a, a podcast well, uh, 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 with Colin Weatherwax, um, a pitcher's list, and we were doing a live draft, a $350 um, Rotowire. And we were ta- he, he was teasing me a bit because my team was, as, as Mike knows, all young upside guys because especially in that league uh, where I can play the waiver wire, I want upside uh, in a rotisserie league. Especially and, a 12-teamer. Uh, and I said, it, like, he took Don- – he, t- he ended up taking Donaldson. I took Sano, but he took Donaldson before I took Sano. Um, and uh, he's like, well, Donaldson's going to just crush it. I'm like, well, Sano's going to hit 60 home runs. And he's like, well, Donaldson's going to hit – Donaldson's going to hit 60 home runs. I'm like, well, they're going to have 100 between them. Sano's going to hit 60. Donaldson's going to hit 40. Um, but I said, you know what, I would, I would honestly, I'm, like, I'm exaggerating, but I would honestly say that I think Sano is going to hit 50 home runs this year. He I'm, just I'm, needs to stay healthy, man. He's, he's a star. You know, he's got a bad body. He slimmed up a little bit last year. I think, I mean, I, this is the third time I've said it because I think it's that important. If he can just play 145, 150 games, man, he is going to be one of the most prolific power hitters in the game year in and year out. There's no doubt about it. He just got, he just has to stay healthy. He's like Stanton without the in, without such a track record of injury and without the price. You can get like almost it's almost like a hundred. It's like a seventy five pick difference, and the batting average I guess might be a little lower. But I think there's a chance. I mean, with how hard he hits the ball, and he strikes all that, out a ton though. But it almost doesn't matter. With the well, and he's a he had a thirty six percent strikeout rate last year, but he hit thirty four home runs and like yeah. less than four hundred plate appearances. I mean, he's like a poor man's stand and whatever, but you get the discount with the same upside for home runs, home run amount. So I, I like that. I, I like that a lot. That type of profile because it's different. It's a league winning power source going outside the top one twenty. There's now. really there's really a third base honey hole right around pick anywhere from ninety to one thirty. You get Matt Chapman. 
you get Miguel Sano, you get Josh Donaldson, you get Mike Moustakis. Love and it. if you were to miss out on all four of those guys, you can get Justin Turner a couple rounds later. Like, to me, that's where I want to draft a third base and a third baseman in 2020, somewhere right in that area. Yep, and then you can, you can yeah, you can pass on Nolan Arenado and get your speed early. Now, I got to be honest. The term honey hole, never heard it, never used it, <laughs> Googled it. And oh my God, it's awesome, and I will use it now. So thank you for that, Ray. That is that is a rural Tennessee fishing term. Honey hole slang for a location that yields a valued commodity or resource. Oh my God, my mind is blown. Yeah, that, that's what I, t- I mean. Don't get me wrong; I took away the content he offered, but that word stuck out to me. I had to look it up. <laughs> no, y- y'all don't hear that around Toronto. No, you won't hear that in Florida either. So you know what. Oh, man, well, awesome. if we if we got nothing else from this podcast, Honey Hole. we have some new terminology. You just you just bless the ears of all three hundred people that listen. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe thirty. Who knows how many? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You've definitely helped me. I, I'm going to use that term now. I actually, my in laws live in Tennessee right now. They live in um, I forgot what part, Maryville. So, oh I'm yeah, gonna, they're I'm on the see. they're on the opposite side. Yeah, yeah, they're on the east side of the of the state. So. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask them about that. See if they hear that term too, because I've never heard them say it. But they're they're native. They're, they just moved over there a couple of years ago. So, gotcha. well, honey hole, I like it. All right, we can move on. Sorry that I'm big. I'm I'm very much ADD squirrel guy, and that was like a very big squirrel moment. So, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. Anyway, as we well, why don't we take a look at some of like the later picks that we had? Um, I'm just uh, going down your board, Ray. Um, you all one one thing that we were talking about before we started recording was Spencer Howard. You took him in the 27th round. I don't know what exact pick it was. Probably around 400, somewhere in that area. And he's someone I wanted. I think he he could he could be somebody that goes Chris Paddock on us. And I actually just drafted him in as my my with my very last pick of the 350 Roto Wire, and I don't think um, I looked at the ADP of that, and he hadn't been drafted in the previous two drafts. But if he does take the trajectory that I was talking about, then he could be somebody that could become very expensive on the first waiver run. But uh, I like that pick of yours a lot. And you know, after the 25th round of a 40 round DC like this, I kind of you know I kind of stop glancing at ADP so much and I just go get my guys. I mean, and if you were to look, and I guess this is a tip for the, my non VIP members, you know, if you look at the rundown of my draft, guys like Julio Urias, Adrian Hauser, of course, Dansby Swanson, uh, Jason Castro, Nick Solak, Robinson Cano, Austin Voth, Jacoby Jones is a big one. And then Spencer Howard. At, at some point, I'm just, you know, I'm not – I was happy with the value I got early in the draft, so now I'm going to reach a little bit, and I'm going to make sure that my bench spots are filled with guys who I believe in. That's kind of my thought process. That's well said. Because, wanna, you know, it, because at that point, when, I, when I'm feeling – when I am feeling bench rolls, I've already hit my thresholds with my percentiles. I'd surpassed RBIs, I'd surpassed home runs, runs scored, things like that. I was pleased with my stolen base projections, batting average projections. So now I'm going to go get guys that I think have more upside than what the industry thinks. And, you know, I'm going with my gut, I'm going with my research. And, you know, if, if, if I'm right, then it's going to, you know, I'll get paid. That's kind of the way <laughs> I see it. Well, hopefully not. 
Hopefully, Hopefully. not, because if he gets paid, then we're not getting paid. No, no, Zach, Zach you're in like 48 DCs. I can win this one. <laughs> well, I think we all want the overall, but I guess we have to be realistic and aim for the league. When yeah, if I can win the overall, I'll give you this one, no problem. I'm take that Fair enough. But yeah, I'm biting my tongue because I know we're gonna get to a couple of your guys later. But I mean, a few of them just really intrigue. Some of those names you were mentioning just intrigued me, so I want to get some deeper thoughts on them. But we, I can wait. Um, I don't know where else you're going with this draft. Again, I'm not in this one. I you know, I, I, I don't know if there's much to say about mine. I tweeted. I think I tweeted mine out. Um, yeah, you talked about it a little bit. Well, yeah, I, I got I got guys that I never got before. I started with um, Lindor and Albies as and Roman Lariano. I I reached on. I like him a lot. I've been starting to try and get more shares of him. And my pitchers are Strasburg, Paddock, and Kluber. Um, I know that you either either love that or you hate it. And then I'm looking at, looking at your team right now, as you mentioned it. Just funny how the second, second, the bottom half of your draft is a bunch of names that we talked about the other day. I know. I got like Urquidy, Griffin Canning, Savali, um, Sam Hilliard. Yeah. Um, but what? yeah. <laughs> and what, I, what you know, we, where we stopped talking was after Polanco. And I, what I did, um, I, I'm at, this is actually one of the drafts I'm happy with my, my, my relief pitchers. I got Liam Hendricks, which I like a lot. Uh, on the last podcast, podcast we just recorded, um, Collins poo-pooing all over him, but whatever he thinks AJ Puck could, uh, if he fails as a starter, could challenge him for the role. But whatever, I have Hansel Robles, and then he I has a Carlo- point. <laughs> he does. Um, and then I got Carlos Martinez as a maybe, and then I have um, I got Karinchek and Clay. So I double tapped. Not I wasn't on the turn, but I double tapped on both of those pitchers because I think they're good pitchers, and then I think there's a good chance. Well, I think there's a small chance that hand is traded because the Indians are just doing stuff like that. And then yeah. my last pick was Kevin Crone, who I'm, I just, believe, I, I just believe, I just believe in his uh, skills. I know he doesn't have a, a starting job, but I believe in that skill set. Um, so of all those, I, um, Ray, I want to get your thoughts on Crone. So, you know, there was a lot of talk. Christian Walker struggled kind of at the midway point of last season. I, can, I don't remember the exact dates, but, he went on a stretch where he was absolutely horrific and everybody kind of thought, okay, this is Kevin Crone's chance. He's, you know, he's murdered triple a, he has put up these otherworldly numbers, give him a shot. And they did give him a shot to an extent. He finally got promoted, finally got some playing time and they didn't stick with him. You know, he struggled uh, post-promotion early and Christian Walker made an adjustment. Christian Walker was, fairly excellent if memory serves me correctly the past uh, past the last few months of the season last couple months of the season you know I, I think I wrote it in my prospect list that Crone kind of strikes me as a quad a guy I think if the Diamondbacks were to ever give him a legitimate just say you know what Kevin don't worry about a thing here are 400 plate appearances you're going to be an everyday guy go play don't look over your shoulder don't you know don't be reluctant just go play I think Kevin Crone could be an above-average offensive player at the big league level. But I do think the Diamondbacks really like Christian Walker. Christian Walker is a guy that I find myself targeting in any OBP format as a corner infielder. Um, It's just one of those things that it's going to pay off for you if for some reason he gets a shot. I don't think he can play third base defensively at the big league level. I don't think he's mobile enough to play. He might get away with a touch of left field. Uh, maybe I think though that you know to get every day at bats, Walker is either going to have to flounder or get hurt. I think that the outfield is also pretty crowded out there in Arizona. That's true. 
That's um, true. But, okay. I mean, in round 29 of this draft, if he were to find a way to 400, 500 plate appearances somehow, you're going to cash on that pick. Okay, let's fr- let me phrase the question. Let me phrase the question a little bit differently. Let's say you put Kevin Crone – let's say C.J. Crone retires and you put Kevin Crone in Detroit. Do you like Kevin Crone or C.J. Crone better? Well, Kevin Crone because C.J. Crone's not playing, duh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Crone is a guy that I added to my high-value list for this season late uh, just because I did not anticipate him getting the opportunity that he did. I mean, Crone is, is – C.J. is going to be a 600-plate appearance guy in 2020 as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, he um, went around 16. He, he has – yeah. I mean, he has really, really good batted ball statistics. He pulled the ball a little less last year, uh, and that's going to hurt him at Comerica. And I kind of – I think I put it in my write-up. If he can get back to his pool rates from 2017 and 2018, he is going to be one of the best value plays at first base in the fantasy world in 2020. Uh, but to get back to your question, I, I think I would get, as far as a profile goes, I think I would give the slight edge to CJ. I think they're, they're fairly comparable. I think that Kevin would take a, a, more of a walk rate. So I think he'd be a little bit more valuable in OBP leagues. Maybe CJ has a slight edge in average leagues. Uh, but both of them are going to hit for power. I think CJ is going to flirt with 30 home runs, especially as an everyday player this year. Um, you know, there's a lot to like, but Kevin, simply put, he just needs an he needs an opportunity for us to really take him overly seriously. Oh, definitely, and that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping for is some sort of opportunity. And I know they also have Patton Smith out down in the in the minors. So and they have they have a couple they have another um, they have another player too that I was really high on entering last year. He was more of a late round pick. His name is Zach. Um, uh, name's escaping me right now. Um, but his name is Zach. Um, <laughs> and he, he put up like crazy numbers in, um, I believe college. Um, but I'm, what I'm, what I'm, the point I'm getting at is that they have a lot coming up for the minor league system. I don't know. Do they make a trade? Do they trade Cronin? Do they trade they got Walker? Seth Beer now too. That's tr- uh, I think, is he more of an outfielder or first base? You know, the set when he got traded to Arizona, he actually played at the minor league affiliate that is 20 minutes from my house. He played at the double-A affiliate of the Diamondbacks in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, he's going he's gonna to be kind of the early career Brandon Belt type, not from a body standpoint, but from like a defensive standpoint. I think he's going to profile better from first base, but he's going to also be one of those guys that depending on – the uh, structure of a big league roster. He could also – he's going to be serviceable in left field. I'll leave it at that. All right. Obviously with big-time power too. All right. Now, now it's bothering me what um, – Zach what, Shannon? Yes, uh, Zach Shannon. That's, yes. He's in high A right now. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's who I'm talking about. He, well, also- he put up like out-of-this-world numbers in, 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 the, in college, and then I think he continued it in maybe rookie ball. And then last year, he just had a very, very um, underwhelming season. Well, right now, the D-backs are littered with outfield talent with Christian Robertson, Robinson, sorry, Alec Thompson, uh, Thomas. I keep messing up their names. Corbin Carroll. You see, like, there's a – They got a good farm. Yeah, they, their farm system. I mean, they're all – don't forget they have Yasmani Tomas still. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, That's terrible. Their, uh, their double-A team was actually one of the 42 teams that were named in that plan to – do away with some of the minor league affiliates. Oh, wow. 
so if that were to happen, I would lose my home track. I would lose the stadium that's closest to me. Oh, no. Uh, and I really do not need that to happen because within the next two years, I could see Geraldo Perdomo. I could see oh, Alan Thomas. Yeah. I could see Christian Robinson. I could see all of the pitchers. I forgot about Perdomo. Too, that they yeah. drafted last year. Tabor? Uh, yeah. Uh, I Actually, I, I probably shouldn't say this. I talked with him a little bit. Uh, when I before I featured him in my breakout article, um, and he's he, his goal for 2020 is to throw in Double A before the before the end of the season. He's going to start good. in the California League. He hopes to make it to the Southern League before the end of the season. Uh, he's a guy, of course, that I'm straight, extremely high on, especially for a pitching prospect. But the Diamondbacks, I I can't remember which one of you said it, but they are they are there's no doubt that they are the most underrated farm system in baseball, in my opinion, and there's just a a ton of star power, and I'm going to take it extremely personally if they have to leave Jackson before all those guys get up. Yeah, I'm losing losing my team too, actually, Ray. I got a – it's the high A affiliate of the Reds, so it's not as big – it's not as significant, but it is Jackie Robinson Stadium. Daytona. Wait a second. Is that – where is Jose Garcia? Or, um, yeah. um, He'll be be in double – he'll be in uh, Pensacola this year, double A. I yeah, he's wrong. not not yeah. Pensacola. Uh, who's their double A? It escapes me. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna pull, I'm gonna while we're talking, I'm gonna pull up the mock draft. So we're gonna get into our mock. Chattanooga drafts. lookouts. There you go. Yeah. See, I do know that. Like, I have obviously being in Florida, it's a hotbed of like talent and pro and you know minor league systems and all that. But I live in the Daytona Beach area. And that's the team I started going to watch. I got a chance to see, you know, Scooter Jeanette when he was on rehab. I got a chance to talk to him. He was really nice and really cool to see. Unfortunately, obviously, that didn't work out for him last year. But it just gives you an idea. You know, these people are way more approachable. It's a, it's a great atmosphere to bring your kids and stuff. And it's seriously upsetting to, like, I'm trying to get my kid into baseball a little more, my kids into baseball a little more. And taking away the only real affordable and local team is uh, quite upsetting. The next yeah. the next closest is – um. Jacksonville, the uh, was it the Hammerheads or something like that? The uh, or is that the wrong Marlins affiliate? But the Jacksonville team right there. That's a uh, yeah, the Jupiter Hammerheads. Jupiter, there, the Florida State. Yeah, yeah Florida Jupiter, State. There's the Jupiter Hammerheads and there's the Jacksonville. Isn't there a Jacksonville team too though? Uh, Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Jumbo isn't Shrimp. It? They're all it's they're both Marlins affiliates and I just mix them up. I, believe. I love all yeah. these names. Yeah, Jacksonville is the – they're in double-A. They're the Southern League. Yeah, they're, they're the um, – they're my next closest, but it's like an hour drive. So, it's not like it's, un, you know, unattainable, but I'd rather go literally 15, 20 minutes compared to the hour plus. So, there's that. But And yeah. while I'm pulling this up, I want to get your thoughts on uh, something, Ray, because you might have more experience than I do. Well, definitely. So, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in two dynasty leagues right now that were startup drafts, uh, and I'm just sorry. I'm not wasting time. I'm pulling up our, our mock draft as we speak. But I'm in two dynasty drafts that are sort of drafting simultaneously. One is lagging a bit behind the other, and it's a lot of the same people are in both of them. Um, Mike, you're not, you're not in these ones, and there's nope. sixteen there's sixteen teams and thirty five minor league minor league slots. So the first one wrapped up, and I had all my sort of sleeper guys that are that I'm taking. Like for example, you're, I'm getting the guy like Taylor Jones uh, on the Astros, AAA guy. Like no one really knows. No one's really he's not really hyped at all. And I have all guys like that like Darlin Marquette on the Reds, just obscure guys, right? So during the second draft, one of the players starts taking every single one of my guys. So he's basically using my list as a draft list for <laughs> the other league. That's so awesome. I'm, I, I mentioned like, what, 
what the fuck, buddy? And then, but like, I don't know, because you must deal, I'm, I'm asking you because like, it seems like an unwritten rule that you shouldn't do that, but like you must, you must have encountered something like that in, in your time because, because you have your site and, 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 and just the track record you have for analyzing prospects. So have you ever had to deal with anything like that? Yeah. And you know, it's something, it's kind of hard for me to keep secrets because, you know, so many of the industry guys, I think this was a topic of conversation last preseason is, you know, the ethics of a fantasy slash prospect writer. Do you, do you publish all of your secrets for the upcoming season? Do you hold a couple within and keep it, keep them to yourself? I'm one of those people that I publish everything, you know, if, if, and you know, I, I, I guess you can say I walk the walk. If I'm going to hype a guy, if I'm going to put him on my high, high value list, if I'm going to rank him aggressively on my prospect list, he's going to be a guy that you see on my dynasty league teams, on my redraft teams, all of that good stuff. But I also know because I do that and because most or I'll say quite a few of the people I play fantasy baseball with know about my site, have access to my site, read everything that I put out there, I know that I can't really – be angry if people intentionally over draft people that I've hyped up. Like I had, I had two prospect 365 leagues. We just redraft. Uh, it, they were actually daily leagues last year. And I remember in my draft, I had already published my high value list on the site and I could not get a single, like a, my late <laughs> round targets got completely butchered. They got taken like two rounds before I had been targeting them in earlier drafts because the people I was playing with knew if they wanted them on their team, they were going to have to overdraft them. Uh, so, you know, that that's just an expectation of mine. I know if I'm going to publish, you know, 30 articles before opening day and a lot of them are focused on guys you should be targeting in your fantasy drafts, then I can't have the expectation that, you know, people are not going to use that information against me. And I, I don't hold it against them. Now, I do say, you know, you're in a little bit of a different situation because you're not – publishing this anywhere but I mean obviously you have someone who really um respects your opinion um and I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to bring up a story to say that I'm anything to oh, oh I, I, I'm, 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 I'm nothing I know. There, yeah. for sure. I'm nothing I'm not, well, I, I don't know about all that but I, I know I know that you're not bringing it up to you know to gloat or anything like that but it in your situation I think you probably handled it correctly you sent him a message kind of saying you know it at minimum, it's gamesmanship. At minimum, it's a little bit on the unethical side. Uh, at worst, it's someone who is not doing their own research and simply taking the guys that you took. Uh, yeah, that's that's what it was because I think yeah. he, the commissioner, even I was talking to the commissioner and we're going back and forth, and he said he was asking for a prospect list. And I guess he's like, he joked, he's like, well, I guess he found it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Anyways, anyways we're, before we get too much into this, we're, I got the draft pulled up here. So I just want to get through. I just you just went through it all. Gosh. Mike, come on. <laughs> I can't help but bust your balls, man. I, I, it is what it is. Anyway, we can go ahead. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Anytime, man. How's your son doing? Um, I hope he's okay. He's, oh, I, thought, I, thought, I thought he was next to you. No, no. I put yeah. him back into, I put him into my, my room. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, Mike, with your podcast too, but you almost didn't come on uh, for this episode because your son, you're having, he was, I was having troubles all around just getting everybody down for the night. Okay. Enough of that. Shut up. Okay. Um, (laughs) uh, So the, the, the participants in this draft and I was, I was floored to see the, the, the interest, like 
starting from from Ray and three three sixty five site, which is just perfect because Ray does these. He participates in the NFBC and he's basically a prospect prospect expert. So he um, and you know what? That's not that's not saying that all these other people aren't that same thing. But um, in this draft, uh, we had Chris Blessing from H- Baseball HQ. He was he had the first pick, and then Ray had the second pick. Uh, Colin Weatherwax, who I brought up before, uh, he's a former NFBC main event uh, league winner, and he's pitcher from I think he's affiliated with Pitchers List. And then we had a listener, Brian Rainey. Um, his name is spelled B R I A N, but his Twitter handle starts with B R Y A N. And I asked him about that, and he said it's because um, it was a popular name. He has, he's put his Twitter's B R Y A N zero three one six. So I guess he found it more important to keep the 0316 than to spell his name correctly. Um, but Brian, uh, Brian, uh, I think he's a softball player. He looks like he just crushes the ball from this profile picture. He's got like a Z2000 okay. softball bat. Again, move uh, move on. No, I'm, I'm not, no, I want to keep going. And Brian, he's a very good listener. Uh, one of the best listeners. Yes, he's got all the questions. And you know what? He looks like – and to go further into his softball, like look, he looks like one of those home run hitters. He's he doesn't look like a He is a good guy. But I'd, I'd say he's like a first baseman type outfielder that doesn't oh really God. care about the defense. He just wants to smack the ball. This is what people want to listen to you talk about, by the way. <laughs> okay, next we have Drew Morris of Common Sense uh, uh, Fantasy Baseball. He was on our previous uh, previous episode, episode six, and then we had we had uh, in the sixth hole we had Ryan Bloomfield, Baseball HQ. Um, uh, needs no introduction. Like the next person, Ralph Lifshitz, Prospect Live, Prospect Jesus, um, Eric Cross, a fan tracks, buddy. Um, should I be saying his uh, Twitter, Twitter handles? Probably not. Probably take too long, right? At Eric Cross 04. I just had him on the other night. Yeah, but I haven't said it for the, all the other ones. Oh, well, you said Prospect Jesus. and So you're picking and choosing. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Zach Braff um, from at your Braff podcast. Z. <laughs> uh, you know, you should know that Joe Gentile at SV Nation's fake teams. Um, I'm not, um, you can find him. Just search Joe Gentile. Uh, Shelly and Mike. Do you want to try this last name? Shelly. She's from Rotographs Pitchers List Prospects 365 as well. I've had her on two podcasts. It's Shelly Vero Straight, and I believe it's Shelly V underscore six four three. It's terrible. I remember these damn Twitter handles by heart. But yeah, I knew. Right. we're all degenerates, man. It's insane. Well, you, okay, when you look at the numbers and analyze stuff so often, I start seeing Twitter handles, and I, I interact with a lot of the same people. I just do. So because I've had them on podcasts, because I've talked to them, because I've recommended people follow them, I've learned a lot of these people's Twitter handles as well. Right. Chris Blessing is at C underscore Blessing. Uh, Colin is at C Weatherwax 13. Um, Drew Morris is Common Sense FBB. Uh, yeah. Ryan Bloomfield is Ryan BHQ. And then uh, covered the rest, I think. Joe, I don't, I don't have his written down, but he won't be mad at me. It's okay. Um, it. Okay, so getting into the draft, um, uh, Chris Blessing pitched, picked first, and he picked Gavin Lux. So I was, I was kind of surprised that he didn't pick Lou Robert, not because he didn't pick him, just because anyone didn't pick him. He's been the consensus first pick. Um, so Louis fell to you, Ray, at number two. Did you take him? You, you, you did. did. Yeah, I did. There's no <laughs> doubt. No doubt, yeah. Okay, let me ask, because it is a hot topic, and I'm going to chime in here. Are you as confident as just about the consensus is all about him and his potential production this year? I mean, I know in this particular draft. Good question. Good, good question. Is there, is there a consensus? Like, I is there a, so. a confident consen- consensus on him? 
I'm I'm hearing a lot of confidence. Like people are really high on him. He his ADP is already rising. He's like a top eighty pick already. Like maybe the maybe the average fan is more hyped than the maybe the average analyst. I don't know. I'm still, but I'm seeing just so much love and high expectations. People are not baking in the fact that he can fail rather easy, including Zach over here who just was. I mean, I don't know if you have if you've gotten him since the price. I have, but I actually got him like the same price as I was getting him earlier. In well, you were you were overdraft. I can argue you were overdrafting him earlier. No, I was doing the right thing. I knew he was going to be up. I told you. It's not about being up though. Like you, like so. Let me get. I want to get Ray's expectations just in general because I know in this format again, taking him top two wasn't really much of a question. But overall, what are your expectations this year on him in general? So, um. I, caught, I, I watched him three times in 2019, twice when he was with Birmingham, once at the Futures game in Cleveland. There are some issues that truly he is so athletic that they would never, ever manifest themselves fully in the minor leagues. Uh, he is very slow to recognize breaking balls. His swing path – uh, leaves him susceptible. He has an extremely high infield fly ball rate, which statistic, if you, if you want to scout the stat line, that's one of the very first things I always look at because that kind of speaks to bat path. Um, he is one of those guys that if he, can, if he can simply just hit, if he can hit 250, he is going to be somewhere in the range of 15 home runs, 15 stolen bases, or 20 home runs, 15 stolen bases somewhere in there. You also have to recognize, though, that there is a non-zero chance that he hits 230 this year because he is going to be sequenced. He is going to be tunneled unlike anything that he has seen in Birmingham or Charlotte or anywhere else. Now, having watched Wander Franco in 2019, having watched Joe Adele in 2019, having watched Robert in 2019, he is as good as an, of an athlete as there is in the minor leagues. I was on a panel in Cleveland at the Futures game uh, with uh, Jeffrey Pasternostro, I think that's how I pronounce his last name, and Chris Blessing, who was in our mock draft. And I made the comment that, you know, uh, that there had been a question about uh, Robert, and Jeffrey had made a comment about how good of a body Luis Robert has. And, you know, I said if, you know, if Joe Adele has the best body in the minor leagues, which in my opinion he does, Joe Adele would be 1A and Luis Robert would be 1B. I mean, we're talking about just supreme premium athletic ability. But you talk to people, organizational scouts, uh, people who write for other sites who are constantly in minor league fields, who saw Robert multiple times in 2019, there is a concern that the swing and miss has simply been masked because Robert is simply an elite athlete. His hand-eye coordination is good enough to where he was able to put the ball, put the bat on the ball enough in the minor leagues, and we're finally going to see it catch up with him a little bit uh, at the MLB level, especially throughout his rookie year when he's getting acclimated uh, to the travel, to the just the most advanced pitching in the entire world. Now, if you want a personal projection from me, I, I think I'm being overly conservative if I were to say anything lower than 250. I think 250 is a – I think that's a middle-of-the-road projection, and I think that that is a number you would hear quite often if you ask 
people who have seen him a lot. If you were to ask Ralph Lifshitz, if you were to ask Chris Blessing, that is probably right in that range. That's going to be the number that they throw at you. But I think 250, maybe 250 with a 310, 320 on base percentage, that is going to be enough to where we get the counting stats that are going to make him a non-bust at his current ADP. You're going to wish for more batting average. You're going to wish for more on-base skills. But if he can get to 2015 or even 1815 or 1812, he's going to be a guy that you look back and think, okay, perhaps I should have waited one more round to grab him if I could have. But he's also not going to be someone who kills your team, in my opinion. That's just kind of kind of where I sit, sit on it. Uh, I do think it, it is going to be one of my favorite things to watch this season is how quickly – he gets acclimated to that style of pitching, how much it's going to affect him. Uh, I do think now that he signed the contract extension, I do think he's their everyday center fielder starting on opening day. That was a question I had before he signed the contract extension. I thought maybe him and Madrigal might be up in early May, something like that. I do think he's their opening day guy now. Uh, but watching him day in and day out, whether or not he's able to lay off uh, breaking balls outside of the zone, especially – you know, low in the zone, low in the dirt, things like that. That's going to be something that I'm going to be looking at on a day-to-day basis to kind of see how he's developing. So you're hoping he's mad Pedro Serrano, not happy Pedro Serrano. I don't know if you yes. you get the major league reference. I do. I do. Uh, most of us would. My okay, big, my big comp or questionable, like question, if he could be this, is there a chance he's Byron Buxton? From from what standpoint? Like comes up and just doesn't. Like isn't what like you know like everyone expected him to be that world beater that next big thing and just never panned out and still it still hasn't but the potential's there but we're talking about a guy with like was considered a big a big time athlete was considered somebody who could be a, a, a across the board contributor and just came up short the first year the second year the I'm not saying that long term that but I mean like at least the initial outcomes I think I think if he is Byron Buxton it's going to look different. You're you're saying, you know, from a standpoint that he doesn't live up to the hype. If he doesn't live up to the hype, it's going to be – Byron Buxton is going to be a better defensive center fielder than Luis Robert. That's what it's going to look like. But Luis Robert has more raw power than Byron Buxton does. Mm-hmm. So it's going to look a little bit different statistically. Robert, in my opinion, is an above-average defensive center fielder, but he's not Byron Buxton. Uh, so – it, it, it all just – it all comes down to whether or not he makes enough contact. If he's a if he's a 230 – I mean, and it, it scares me to say that 230 is not even the 10th percent outcome. Like, there is a chance that Luis Robert is a, 10, a 210, 220 hitter this season. And that scares the crap out of me when I have to draft him close to pick 100. Now, and that, and I, I why, think, I think I'm going to be game. wrong. I, I think that's wrong. But there is a chance. I think he's going to be at 250, maybe 255. I think Steamer has him projected at 272. If you want to take the over on 272, I'll be more than happy to take your money. <laughs> That's just kind of where I sounds stand. like you would take the money even at 270. Like you would right. give somebody two points. Right one there. last yeah. thing. One last thing before we move on from him. And I've asked a question before. Um, stolen bases. They don't always translate to the major leagues. And I've, and I've noted George Springer, Jock Peterson. To a lesser extent, Korea were the examples I gave. There's probably other examples. Um, 
is there a chance that he just doesn't steal as much as we think he will and that will depress his value? Because you could tread water last year with Jose Ramirez because he was still getting used to on bases. I had teams where he was on my team, and I still did okay. Yeah, I, I, dra- I drafted Jose with – I think it was the fourth overall pick in TGFBI, which is a, a, a punch in the gut. I, I still ended up winning my league, and it was largely because I treaded water with Ramirez because he was – such a contributor in stolen bases. And then he finally kind of unlocked the power and then he got hurt. Uh, as far as Robert being a stolen base contributor at the big league level, I see it. The, the only way that I do not see him stealing at least 15 bases this season, assuming health, is if for some reason the White Sox redline him. But seeing as him and Tim Anderson are, should, be bad, uh, should be batting back-to-back in that White Sox order. Oh, you I think, think that, that too? I, I think so. I think they're going to be six, seven, or seven, eight. I okay. Think. Okay. Uh, go, go, go ahead. I, I was, I, I, my bad. I was assuming Tim Anderson would be higher in the lineup, but I guess their lineup is so potent that he's. I, I would. I was just thinking the American League batting champion Tim Anderson would be. <laughs> I, I say that because I, I just don't buy it. I just, I just, I just never end up having him. I've never drafted him, and I don't buy it. I, I like it. his price this year i still think 2020 is going to happen regardless of where he's hitting in the lineup and that's what you draft him for the 2020 with a 250 260 batting average i'm i i, I draft i have a lot of Robert and i drafted him before he i'm talking about it. sorry i was talking oh. about uh what's his face tim anderson uh, now we're just getting off on a tangent tim yeah, anderson. we shouldn't but be we, talking about him in this episode we shouldn't but you brought him up and i and i just wanted to point out that i like him that's all okay um <laughs> Robert, i just i I looked at I, I watched I watched some video and I watched some video of minor leaguers. That the, just the eye test, his home runs, he just hits the ball so hard. So, like, he's not boxed in that way because the power is just on a different level, and he just like he it just. I just like if you look at Buxton's rookie year, he hit like two thirty with ten and ten, and it wouldn't be yeah. crazy. I mean, it would. I would expect more power, like you said. I think the only comparison. The I think similar. the only comparison is like. Is he going to bust like Byron Buxton was a bust in terms of a prospect? Is he going to be? Bu- is he going to bust? Because I don't see the profiles being similar at all. Oh no! Just, well, well I, in, in my opinion, if if Robert completely busts, it's Lewis Brinson. That's mm. that's what I think. Lewis Robert busting is now. I don't think he's going to bust. I think he has better hand-eye coordination, and I think he has louder raw tools than Brinson does. But if he busts, it's going to be because he doesn't make enough contact. And it's going to look the same way that Lewis Brinson looked. Oh, so I bad. think that's what it looks like if he busts. That would be so bad. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. But no, that was good because like if we're going to spend time on someone, it should be him. Um, next, next is uh, Colin picked Jesus Lazardo, and um, I, you know what? I, I don't think we can go through every single pick, but in the, the amount of detail, but I, I like that pick there. Yeah. Nothing much to say. Um, next was Joe Adele. Um, Chalk. Yeah, Brian took him. Um, do you feel that he, Ray? Do you think that Joe Adele is very safe in terms of um, how he's ranked as a prospect? Because the only thing that I think some people would look at, and me, I'm not excluding myself, is just the stats in his minor leagues. He's not he's not piling up the home runs. He's not piling up the stolen bases. I guess neither did Trout. But um, um, what would you say to someone who's concerned just looking at the the counting stats in the minors? Oh, I I think. Joe Adele is going to be someone who, even after he debuts in the big leagues, he's going to be someone who is still developing. Uh, This is a kid that he's not even 21 years old yet, 
he's going to take most of his swings from the big league level this season. Uh, and the stats that you don't see in a game, we, we tend to see, you know, when I clock Joe Adele running from home to first as fast as he can, I, my jaw drops. When I watch Joe Adele take batting practice and see him, you know, just give effortless swings and the ball goes over the right field fence, opposite field, I, I know what I'm looking at. Now, I do think – I think he's going to take more walks than Robert, but he's going to face some of the same swing and miss issues that are going to take a while to acclimate. I said it in my prospect list that's going to be released next month. There is going to be an acclimation period for Adele that is going to look fairly similar to what it's going to look like with Robert. But I, I would say don't don't let the stats scare you away from Adele because – the raw tools are just as loud. Uh, from a power standpoint, they're probably a little bit louder than Robert. I think he has a slightly better hit tool, but I don't think Adele will ever utilize his speed the way that we're going to see Robert utilize his. Right on. Um, next, the uh, fifth pick, uh, Drew chose Dylan Carlson, and then uh, Ryan chose Nick Madrigal. So those are two players that are expected to be up relatively soon. And uh, they're going within the top 300 of the ADP for NFBC. Um, I guess one question is, would you, when would you expect both of them up? Carlson and Madrigal? Yeah. The Cardinals are so finicky with the way that they prioritize their guys. I think, I, in my opinion, I think the Cardinals are going to re-sign Marcelo Zuna. And I think that's going to throw a little bit of a wrench into Dylan Carlson's path. I think he's going to be an early summer guy, hopefully, because they need him. They, you know, Dexter Fowler is a below average offensive player. I also believe he's a below average defender, especially in center field. Uh, you know, I'm not certain that Dylan Carlson's the loudness of his tools that we see in the uh, stat line from last year. I don't think we can realistically expect them in the big league level, but I do think he's going to be an above average contributor. I would say sometime probably early in the summer, maybe June, at the latest early July, but hopefully it's sooner because I'm a Cardinals fan and I like to see good baseball players on my favorite team. Uh, Nick Madrigal, I do – I would love to be see the, I would love to see the White Sox openly commit to winning the AL Central. And if they do that, then Nick, Madr then Nick Madrigal is their opening day second baseman. I have a hunch that he's probably in Charlotte for about a month and then he becomes their everyday second base. Okay. Um, I'm hoping he gets up a bit earlier. And um, he's, he's one of those average and storm-based contributor, um, contributors, which are, which are valuable in these leagues in the NFBC because those are, those are the two scarcest categories. I think I'm stating the obvious there. So we'll move on to uh, prospect Jesus, who took Carter Kibian. He took him despite all of the recent signings. So I guess this is worth, I think this one's worth um, spending a minute on just um, discussing, I guess, the, the, the playing time concerns for Carter and um, what you expect from him from a, from a statistical standpoint. You know, if you, if you read the tea leaves of what the national writers, the nationals writers have been saying since, jo jo since Josh Donaldson signed with the twins, I kind of get the feeling that Carter Keeboom is going to have a real opportunity to win the third base job in DC coming out of the gate. Uh, I don't, I don't know how well he is going to profile from third base from a fantasy standpoint. I think he would profile much better from shortstop or second base, 
but the Josh Donaldson signing with Minnesota officially, I think that is pretty good news for Carter Keeboom. I think that the Nationals are not going to be able to match uh, what the Braves can fork over in a trade for someone like Chris Bryant or Nolan Arenado. And that might mean that they look in-house, maybe try and fill that void with Carter Keeboom. If he can't get the job done, then roll with a combination of your other infielders that you've signed. But I kind of – I'm a little bit more optimistic now on Keeboom than I was a couple of weeks ago as far as his 2020 outlook goes. If Carter Keeboom can't beat out Estribal Cabrera for third base, then that's on Carter Keeboom. Cabrera's not bad. I get that. But he's nothing special. And Keeboom is supposed to be something special. So I think it's just that simple. Like, he should be given the opportunity. I agree. And if he can't beat him out, that's his fault. I don't think the Nats are going to do anything to hold him back at this point. And there, there are going to be people who look at Keeboom's debut last season. I can't even remember. It was a very insignificant amount of plate appearances. And that's going to scare them off a little bit, thinking of 2020 and ahead. But do not do that. Carter Keeboom is going to be an above-average big leaguer. Uh, his raw tools say, say he is. Uh, he has a big track record of success. Uh, it's just going to be all about opportunity, and there's going to be an acclimation period just like there is with almost everybody. Uh, but he'll, he's going to settle into an everyday role, and he's going to be a, a really good big leaguer for a long time. Cool. Good take. The next one, Eric Cross took Mackenzie Gore, and um, it appears as though Eric, um, just judging based on what Mike has said, is in on Gore. Um, uh, I, I want to actually talk about him in, in uh, relation to your second pick as well, um, and I'm going to fast forward to your second pick just in the, in the, just so we can talk about the, these players at once, and then another player who wasn't even selected in this draft, I don't believe. And these are all double pitchers that have not pitched above double A yet they're being selected in, in a, in a season long league because um, people think they're going to contribute. So Eric took Mackenzie Gore um, and you took, well, you could say who you took, but the other player that I'm talking about is Tariq Skubal. So those are all players that uh, I believe did not make it past double A. I could, I'll check on Skubal, but no, you're, you're right. Um, okay. Good. I believe. I believe so too. I can double check, but um, what, what are your thoughts on their contribution in terms of um, the length of time they're up and, and uh, I guess uh, how useful they are from a fantasy point of view in these type of leagues? Those three, correct, those, those, those three pictures. So with Gore, it's very easy to draw a parallel because the Padres just showed last season that they are willing to be aggressive with their pitching prospects as far as a placement goes to begin the season. We just watched them allow Chris Paddock to open the season as a starting pitcher at the big league level. Gore, from a pedigree standpoint, from a minor league success standpoint, we have reason to believe that he's going to be better than Paddock eventually, perhaps not out of the gate, especially because Paddock was so phenomenal last season. Uh, You know, the people that I talk to in the industry, whether that's scouts, whether that's other writers for other sites, we're kind of split as far as whether or not he breaks camp with the Padres. I do think that you can't deny that at some point this season, he is going to have an impact in San Diego, especially if the Padres find themselves competing. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll be on the outside looking in, in the NL West, but if they're competing for a wild card spot, I think Gore is going to be someone who's going to be up fairly early. Uh, having said that, though, I think that Spencer Howard could be up even earlier. Uh, the fact that the Phillies have not signed a fifth starter kind of signals to me that they may roll 
with Vince Velasquez to start the season. And, you know, there are a lot of off days over the course of the first two months of the season where a lot of teams do not even need a fifth starter. So Vince Velasquez may be that guy while Spencer Howard acclimates himself to AAA and, more importantly, the big league ball in AAA. Uh, but Howard is certainly going to contribute in Philadelphia at some point this season. I do, cons- I do worry about his workload. He missed a lot of last season with a shoulder injury. He pitched, uh, I believe, in high A, and then he got promoted to double A. He also pitched in the Arizona Fall League. But when you add those three levels together, I think he only totaled maybe 85 innings total. Uh, so we're not going to see him throw 175 innings in 2020. It could be one of those things like the Padres did with Paddock. You know, Paddock is not overly too far removed from Tommy John surgery. We might see Howard play a role in Philadelphia throughout the first half of the season, but kind of toward that midway point, the Phillies are going to find ways to get Howard a rest, whether that's uh, demoting him to AAA or AA for a couple of weeks. And he might not ever leave Philadelphia. He's just going to hang out in the dugout, kind of hit a reset button to make sure that they're not pushing him too far, too fast, because he does have top of the rotation potential. Uh, So I do worry about the workload, uh, but where I can get him in drafts, it's to me, it's basically free money because when he debuts, he is going to have an impact. Do you think he's awesome as a player? Do I think Spencer Howard's awesome? Yes. Yes. I think, uh, you know. Okay, you said that, that may be obvious to you, to the prospect circles, but for, I guess, people that play in FBC, I don't know if it's obvious to everyone. Probably it is, but. Um, I, you know, I when, know, when you go to his uh, savant page, he's not going to be someone who wows you from a spin rate standpoint, uh, but he gets really good extension. He has a really good stride, and that allows his fastball to play up in the zone. He's going to get a lot of swing and misses up in the zone with his fastball. And that is the way that baseball is trending in 2020. Uh, his top breaking ball is his slider. It's a really good weapon against right-handed hitters. And then he is developed uh, with the help of, I believe his name is Jason O'Chart from Driveline, who is now an employee of the Phillies. Uh, he has developed a changeup that some think are above average and some would consider plus. And that second weapon against left-handed hitters, I think, is really going to help him ascend at minimum, I think, to a mid-rotation big league starter with potential to even be the second-best pitcher on a staff. And if he can hook up with Aaron Nola, that duo in Philadelphia could be pretty special for a long time. Absolutely. So the next – after after uh, Gore went, you had Kopech uh, taken by Zach Raff from in the in the ninth pick of the draft, and then Joe uh, took Jose Urquidy. He must really like him. Um, and then after that, Shelley took Evan Wife, White. Evan Wife. Evan White. And as on the eleventh pick, and then we took me and Mike took Mitch Keller. So Kopech or Keedy Keller, those are guys that are going around the two fifty ish range. Yeah, um, it makes so, sense because they are um, re- they're going to be up this year, and they're all redraft relevant for the most part. So yeah, so I don't think we're going to get into them too much. Evan White, he again like Robert Robert signed the contract, so he should be up right, uh, right, uh, Bray. You know, Evan had, has not played too much in AAA. It would not surprise me if he opened the season in the Pacific Coast League, but he's going to play most of his games in Seattle this year. And he's, he strikes me as a guy – he's improved offensively every season. He's been a professional, uh, and I think he's going to continue improving even after he debuts in the big leagues. And what a lot of people don't realize about Evan White is I think 
unless Seattle red lights him. Number one, he's going to contend for gold gloves at first base in the American League. Number two, he may sneak, very sneakily throw in five to ten stolen bases a year unless the Mariners don't want him to run because he is an above-average runner. So that's something to keep in mind, especially in dynasty leagues. He might be a first baseman that you target more so than another one because I do think we're going to get some speed output there. I didn't realize that. I've heard I've – heard... Goldschmidt like comps, not the power, but the all around game type of thing. Would yeah, above be... average defender. Like he is, I, I'm, I won't say he's Cody Bellinger at first base, but he is just a step lower. He's going to be an excellent first base defender, and he's just a really, really good overall athlete. There are, there are not significant worries with the hit tool, and because there are not, that kind of makes me think we're going to see him get the most out of his power, whatever that is. It may only be 25 home runs. But he's going to be a really, really good real life player, and a sneaky good fantasy player. So he'll hit all five uh, categories, which is a huge deal uh, from from especially from a, first base. Yeah, I would say from a first baseman exactly. Right. So the first round was Lux, Robert, Lazardo, Adele, Carlson, Madrigal, Kibum, Gore, Kopech, Urquidy, White, and Keller. The next round we had we had the next pick as well. We took Sam Hilliard. We've discussed him a lot on on the podcast. Um, Obviously, we, we love like him. We, we like him a lot. Um, he actually love. just—it's funny because uh, the draft we were in, he had an ADP of three twenty, just because there's only been two drafts. So I thought I could wait on him, but he actually went a hundred slots above his ADP. But somebody took him at like three at uh, two thirty uh, in that moment by, in the Roto Roto Wire draft. Um, so he's a person with upside, but I'm sure playing time. Um, he's an older prospect, right? Yeah, I believe he's twenty six. I believe. Right. But um, we were talking about him, and he's just a physical beast. He runs, he hits for a ton of power. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who are we talking about? Sam Hilliard. Oh, I, I thought we were talking about Urquidy. Urquidy is 24. I believe <laughs> I Hilliard is 26. Like is he that? Okay. I believe. Yeah, um, I think he's a good Yeah, on opening day, he'll be 26. Okay, yeah, I thought he was like 24, 25. So I was a little off. Either way, I like him a lot. <laughs> Age be damned. Okay, uh, next, uh, Shelly took Sean Murphy. Um, like, valuable in this format for sure. He's, he's actually going ahead of a lot of the other players that we've already mentioned in the NFBC, on an well, NFBC format. To catch your format. Exactly. So I think we sort of lose sight of we We probably lost sight of that in, in some of the picks because – I'm surprised really, y'all don't want to talk more about Sam Hilliard. He's interesting. Oh, I thought we were done. I thought, well, yeah, we, no, I, I do. We love him. We, we, we talked about him for like 10 so. minutes last on the last podcast. So he – I'm glad you stopped me. I'm glad, Ray, you stopped me because if you want to talk about something. We... No, I, I mean, he's just, he was a very interesting study for me this offseason. Uh, he was a two-way player in college. So he just, you know, once he turned professional, he, you know, that was the first time he had ever focused on being a position player solely. Uh, there's obvious swing and miss. You can see that from the statistics. Uh, but he puts up some gargantuan stat cast numbers. The hard hit rates are always going to be really, really good. The sprint speed's always going to be really, really good. The biggest que- – I have two big questions. Number one is obvious. He plays in Colorado where prospects have gone to die here recently. Uh, I tweeted it out a couple weeks ago. Um, Rymel Tapia is out of options, and they're paying Ian Desmond way too much money. Both of those factors make me think that Hilliard may struggle to carve out a role more so then perhaps he should on a non-contending team. Um, but obviously he's someone, if he pops, there is there is 
legitimate star potential in the raw tools if he pops. The yeah, reason Rocky, that Rocky's sucky if, fantasy. If he doesn't pop, it's going to be because he doesn't make enough contact. I mean, when he has, uh, I'm looking at his Fangraphs page now, and it, contact and, with and, the contact with the field or contact with the ball. No, just contact with the ball. <laughs> and I mean, like getting on the field, like contacting his feet on right, the field. Right, 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 right. <laughs> no, I just think you know there are some pretty significant swing and miss, swing and miss issues. I think that the sample size we saw. I mean, he had seven home runs and 87 plate appearances once he got promoted last uh, September. But I think the sample so, the sample size is so small that we see a 26.4% strikeout rate, and we're like, okay, you know, we can, we can live with that. But I think that is going to go up once he, get, once he gets a little bit more exposure to big league pitching. So it's going to come down to just how much is he going to strike out, and is that going to be high enough to where Bud Black would rather roll with a combination of Ian Desmond and Garrett Hampson and Rymel Tapia? So that's going to be a really interesting to watch that play out over the course of the early portion of the season. Right on. Yeah. I'm, I, I've, well, I've invested quite heavily in Hilliard. I think I got him in our, in our draft, if I'm not mistaken. So I hope, I hope he gets a, a role. Um, next is Sean Murphy. Um, catcher two catcher format would definitely be valuable. I think he had, um, he's got a lot of power too, power potential. Now, Joe, Joe took Alec Baum, um, Alec Baum. And I'm not sure when he's going to be up. Joe, Joe just Joe gets his guys. Like we had a we had a fake teams um, the, the site that we ran for a draft last year, and he he drafted what was called an all sleeper team. So what he did, he didn't care. He just um, he said he drafted anyone with an ADP over a certain amount. So Austin Meadows was his first round pick, which turned out to be not a terrible pick. But he just he loves bomb. He's a top. He has Joe. Joe is a prospect guy, and he's. Um, he has Baum as a top 20 overall prospect, I believe. So, um, Ray, how high are you on Baum and how, how, how much do you think he can contribute? They don't, have a, they don't really have a third baseman there right now. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm high on Baum as well. I think I currently have him as a, a top 25 guy. I can't remember exactly where, maybe 23rd, somewhere in that range. Uh, it's a really good combination of hit and power. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that strikes out a ton and he's always going to post batting averages that you can tolerate. It can, it's going to be something like a two, 265, 270, 275 with 25 to 30, maybe even at peak 35 home runs. I, mean, I could see going, him. I could see him. Well, I'm, I don't know. I'm going to ask you because I'm not going to say I can, I'm not, I'm not as good as anal, at analyzing these prospects, but could you see him being eventually like a rundown? From a real-life standpoint, no, because there are some pretty significant questions of whether or not he's a third baseman long-term. Okay. I think, I think even the, the Phillies publicly have said that they think he can stick at third base. Throughout the industry, we watched him take infield in Cleveland at the Futures game. Uh, I have several contacts who got to watch him throughout the 2019 season. I only got to see him at the Futures game. But there's a pretty split consensus, and I would say that there are more people in the prospect world who kind of think eventually he's going to transition to first base. And it's going to be mostly because the athleticism is more functional than explosive. He kind of gets by athletically. Um, and that is just going to be just enough to where he's going to be quite a bit better defensively at first base than third base. Uh, as far as, you know, from an from a offensive statistical standpoint, I think – 
I don't know if the average and the the on base skills. I don't know if they'll ever be quite as attractive as Rendon's. I think though that Baum is going to be an above average offensive big leaguer for a very very long time. Okay, I'll, let me phrase a, a, a question differently. In 2022, so two years from now, in redraft leagues, over under 0.5. Alec Baum is Alec Baum is dropped over how many of these players? Rendon. Arenado and Freeman. So basically, is he drafted over any of those guys? By 2022, zero. Okay. In my opinion. Okay. Just because I mean that's that's what that's second and minimum that's a second round pick. Well, right? maybe but there are second round picks now, but I don't know if they're all going to be second round picks two years from now. I, I could see most likely yes. From a from a fantasy standpoint, I can see in 2022, I can see Bomb being maybe anywhere from 70 to 100 overall. Maybe maybe that's a little too conservative. I mean, I really like him, and my ranking shows that. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're right as far as those three are going to have aged, especially if Arenado's not in Denver anymore. Man, I'm going off a, tra- on a tangent here. This is supposed to be like an NFBC redraft podcast. Mm-hmm. Of our, I'm, I'm into Dynasty. Mike's like, mm-hmm. Yep, and Mike wants to go to bed. So, <laughs> okay, let's go. Um, um, we can't go through every one of these picks, so – the Zach took um, Brendan McKay in the second round, and then Eric Ross took Nick Solak. Uh, Ralph took Nico Horner. Ryan took Kyle Lewis. Drew took Austin Hayes. So, Ray, choose one of them. and uh, Not even one of them. Just pick which ones are remote. I was thinking just, like, run through them and then pick which ones he really wants to talk about and elaborate on because I'm sure he has stronger thoughts about some versus others. Isn't that what I just did? Or well, you said pick one. I don't want to limit him because okay. he's way more knowledgeable than we are on these guys. For sure. Okay, so those those are your picks. You got the floor on those hitters. Uh, Austin Hayes was one of them, correct? Yep. Yes, sir. I'll talk a little bit about him. I think I think what a lot of people don't realize about Austin Hayes, as far as twenty twenty goes, is I, I from what I've read and what from what I've researched, I really think Baltimore is planning on him being their uh, leadoff hitter. So I really, really think there's there's an underrated aspect from a run scored standpoint. Uh, and there, he also has some speed that we have not necessarily seen statistically that I think from what I've read that Baltimore is going to plan on utilizing more, especially, you know, him hitting leadoff and hopefully getting on base enough to be a threat from a stolen base standpoint. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be even a 15 stolen base, perhaps not even a 10 stolen base, but anywhere from five to eight, as y'all know uh, better than I do, how valuable that can be in a roto, especially from a guy you're not expecting it from. So I do think there is some counting stat, kind of some underratedness there with Hayes, especially if he can show early that he uh, is, you know, if he's an adequate leadoff hitter. Me and Mike were discussing him. Mike, Mike wanted to – he suggested him as one of our first picks, but we opted to go with Keller and Hilliard. But, we just took uh, the, high, the upside with Hilliard, but Hayes was like a strong consideration for sure. Yeah, for you, you were, you were counting him. I, I didn't really – I wasn't as high as, as you were. Well, it's okay. We split the difference on the next set of picks anyway. So Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so the next the next two picks were uh, Brian took Forrest Whitley and Colin took A.J. Puck. And then you took Spencer Howard, which we've discussed already. So Whitley, Puck, um, you want to talk about either one of those? I really hope Oakland gives Puck a fair chance of starting. I know there's a lot of concern that – um, the combination of Puck, you know, now having undergone Tommy John, there were some command issues before 
his fastball is not anal- analytically uh, above average. It's kind of a low spin pitch that he likes to throw it low in the zone more than up. So he's not he's not ever going to get a ton of swing and miss from his fastball. So a lot of the strikeouts he gets are going to be from his breaking ball stuff. And because of that, there are people who strongly believe that he's better suited for the bullpen in a starting role. But I, I want the athletics to stick with him in the rotation for as long as they can. Uh, I hope that I just, not that they would be giving up on him. I just hope that we see him start. I just want to know what it looks like at the big league level. I hope so too, because I don't want him taking the closer role away from uh, <laughs> what's his Hendricks. name? Liam yeah. Hendricks. Yeah. After that, Brendan Rogers came, uh, came about at the end of the second round. Uh, where Chris Blessing took him and Dustin May. So those are those are Dustin May could contribute right away, but again, the Dodgers have a lot of people in that rotation. Dodgers are the Dodgers. Yep, and then Brendan Rodgers with all the talk of the Arenado trade, um, you have, you know what? There could be a lot of changing values of prospects in that trade, including Brendan Rodgers. For sure, and I, I'm of the mindset that Ryan McMahon is going to be, he is going to get the lion's share of starts at second base to start the season. That's just my opinion. But I think if they were to trade Arenado, McMahon becomes the third baseman, and that opens up a spot. Early in the season, I think it'll be Garrett Hampson at second base. But once Brandon kind of proves that he's fully healthy from AAA, you know, coming off the labrum surgery, I think there's a pretty decent chance that he would slide into the everyday second base role. Right on. Um, After that, you took Nate Pearson, and then um, there was a pitcher run here. Nate Pearson, Matt Manning, and Sixto Sanchez. Um, just from my just from my my scanning of the innings pitched last year, and um, you're looking at proximity and volume with these draft and hold leagues. Um, Manning seems to be like one of the people I'm targeting a lot more so than any of these guys or mys. Um, but you obviously took Pearson. Um, I'm from Toronto, so I'm I'd be I'd love to hear that you're optimistic on him. Um, you know, in this format. It's all about kind of volume in 2020. And I think that, you know, the Blue Jays have shown this offseason that they have, they have made multiple moves that leads me to believe that they are going to do their best to be competitive in 2020. Um, you know, I think that they're still well short of an AL wildcard spot, but it makes me happy to see teams that have a lot of young talent who are added, adding those veteran pieces to, you know, at least roll the dice out there and give it a shot. Because of that, I do think as long as he, you know, assuming health, I do think that the Blue Jays are more likely to give Pearson more volume in 2020 than the Tigers are. I do think Matt Manning is probably going to play a role in Detroit at some point this season, but I just don't know if we see the quantity of innings pitched from Manning on a really, really bad Detroit team for him to have just a gigantic value or a gigantic role on a fantasy staff this season. Right on. Okay. And I th- just speaking of the Tigers, did I cut you off when, before we t- discussed Scooble? Uh, yeah, I don't think we, we talked about him. So in terms of, yeah, in terms of him, like I guess their ADP, um, when we're talking about Spencer Howard around three, 430, um, Kope, or not Kopech, Gore around 330, um, and um, Scoob around 530. So they're all like 100 picks apart. Like are they too hot, too cold, just right? I think I think Gore is just about right just because, you know, if he were to be – he doesn't even have to break camp with the Padres. If he were to be a big league pitcher by 
the first of June, I think he cashes with where we're getting him right now. Or, wow. you know, maybe not June, but maybe, you know, sometime in May, if we're seeing big league innings, I think we're going to benefit from his current ADP. The same with Spencer Howard. We can get him, what did you say, about 100 picks later? Yeah, 430-ish, but you, know, you, you took him a bit earlier. Right, I took him a little bit earlier. I think the timeline is fairly similar. Uh, you know, we already talked about the fact that the Phillies are going to have to find ways to restrict his workload to an extent. Uh, Scooble is a guy that does not necessarily strike me as someone who is going to have to throw a lot of innings at the big league level in 2020. Uh, you know, the way that I wrote it up in my uh, prospect list that's coming out next month, I need to see a little bit more of the statistical success. Uh, I worry a little bit because the reports I've seen have kind of leaned a little bit on the fact that he's a very heavy fastball usage guy. Um, and the, it's a really, really good pitch, but the, the way that pitching is currently trending, uh, there are not very many starting pitchers who throw their ball, who throw their fastball 70% of the time and are above average big league starters. Right, so so did, go ahead. In Detroit, you have, you have Spencer Turnbull, you have Boyd, you have Norris. Um, who else is in their rotation right now? Um, as of now, I don't recall. Uh, did, they just, uh, signed Nova, correct? Yvonne Nova. Yeah, but I'm not going to count him for this question. Okay. I'm, my question is going to be, which of these five pitchers do you think are going to be in the Tigers rotation come August? So the ones I mentioned, Michael Fulmer, who's coming up, Tommy John, and then you got Manning, my Scooble, uh, Fiedo, and Joey Wentz. So if you had to pick five, including anyone I've missed that could be in the rotation now, what do you think the rotation looks like in August? In August? Yeah, I would, if you, if you I had would, to pick five. Right. I would love for them to trade Matthew Boyd. He's a guy that I'm high on that can really help a contending team this season. Of course, that's not going to be Detroit. Um, I, I, you know, where we're drafting him, I'd like Turnbull a little bit. I think there's some strikeout viability there. His command is below average. But I think he's going to be a quantity guy, a volume guy. Uh, I think Turnbull is still going to be in the rotation. I, I am inclined to think that uh, Daniel Norris is still hanging around in August. But by then – Hopefully, Casey Mize is gone uninjured in 2020. He'll be up. I imagine Matt Manning will be up. Uh, you know, based on age alone, I'm kind of a little inclined to think that they'll give Fiedo a shot before Scooble. Uh, I don't think Fiedo is nearly the pitcher that Scooble can be. But I do think in Detroit, on a team that's so bad, they're going to want to get a look at Fiedo before Scooble in all likelihood, I would guess. We also have Jordan Zimmerman. I just looked it up. So to summarize, who would be your five? You said I think you said Boyd and Turnbull. yeah. If they if they don't trade him, it'll be uh, Boyd will of course still be in the rotation. If they don't trade him, I hope they do. Turnbull, Norris, Mize, Manning. That'd okay. be my five. Okay, cool, good. Um, then after Manning and Sixto Sanchez, um, Shogo Akiyama went. Um, is and then Mauricio Dubon went to Ryan. Ralph took Bobby Dahlbeck, which made me take a look at him more. And then the other um, international player, Eric, took uh, <laughs> Yoshitomo, Yoshitomo Tetsugo. Then Mount Castle, Mount Castle went to Zach. Joe took Jake Fraley. Shelly took Christian Pache. And then uh, we, or Mike, took Justice Sheffield. So of those players, um, which ones uh, stick out to you? From a fantasy standpoint in 2020, I think Dubon kind of uh, – he has a little bit of an underrated counting stats, especially from his ADP. I think 
as long as he secures the everyday second base job in San Francisco, he's going to be a guy that should be at minimum a 10 home run, 10 stolen base guy. And where we're drafting in those stolen bases could be extremely valuable. I agree. Um, the, the more that I researched him this offseason, the more I kind of liked what Bobby Dahlback did last season. I was able to kind of reach out to all of my Red Sox contacts. And, you know, it, he, he made a lot more – a significant amount more contact last season. And that showed up in the dropped uh, strikeout rate. Uh, I do think – you know, I don't think the Red Sox are going to contend uh, with the Yankees or probably even the Rays in the AL East this season. I do think there's a chance that Dahlbach is given a chance, perhaps later in the summer, uh, he might get a look at first base. Uh, if for some reason Devers got hurt, he would probably be the first call they made for third base. I think Michael Chavis is going to hopefully get a stranglehold on second because he's a player that I kind of like this season from a fantasy standpoint. I think Dahlbach is going to get a really good shot at the, being the long-term first baseman in Boston. Okay, good. After that, that rounds out round three. Um, round four started with Kevin Cron. We've already talked about him. And then Shelly selected Ian Anderson. Joe took Randy Dobnak. Zach took Casey Mize, who we already discussed. Uh, Eric took Drew Waters. Ralph took somebody outside of the top 700, Isaac Paredes. Ryan took Logan Webb. Drew took Randy Arena. Brian took Joey Bart. Um, Colin took Bruce Darker Adderall, um, who I think could be up right away. Um, Ray, you took Karinchuk, and then Chris took Jazz Chisholm. So maybe um, talk about Karinchuk and uh, anyone else um, that we – a lot of these guys – a lot of these players we've touched on, and a lot, of them, a lot of them are sort of a known commodity. Like, I think we know what Joey Bart might do this year. Sure. I think that uh, as far as the round goes, I think, you know, the, the Giants just signed Drew Smiley today, and I think he's going to take – he might take Logan Webb's rotation spot, which makes me sad because I think Logan Webb is fairly underrated. Um, my Karen Chak pick is it's boring because it's a reliever. Uh, but you brought up a really good point earlier that I kind of believe in a little bit. If the Indians do push the trigger and push the button on selling, Brad Hand is going to be one of the first people they trade. And when or if they were to trade Brad Hand, Karen Chag becomes one of the most valued closers in all likelihood in the big leagues. Um, so in a draft, when we're in round four of a prospect draft for a redraft league, uh, I'm just looking for value. And at minimum, I get a guy who should pile up holds. I know that holds is not a, a category in NFBC, but there is, you know, whether they trade in before the season or before the deadline, Brad Hand, I do think there's a chance that we see Karen Chag, um you know, maybe not pile up the saves, but I think he, there's a decent chance he'll get some opportunities before the end of the season. Yeah. And this is the fact that uh, just some recent news, the Donaldson signing, the, the Robert, the Donaldson signing, the Robert signing, the White Sox and the twins are going to be very, very good, which might make it in the Clipper trade. All those things are sort of piling up to make it, make it that the Indians might not be com competing and Lindor maybe gets traded. So there's those things. Um, in round five, we started off with Wander Franco. Sort of when was he going to go in this format? And then Tyler Stevenson, you took him. And he's the guy that I've been talking about like, for, for weeks now. Um, but we can get into that after we go through the round. Royce Lewis went to Colin. Debbie Garcia went to Brian. Drew took Alex Kirillov. Ryan took Willie Castro and the Tigers, another Tigers infielder. 
Ralph took Julio Rodriguez, the upside there. And then uh, right after that, Eric took Jared Kalenic. Zach took uh, Brent Honeywell. Joe took Justin Dunn. Shelly took, I think this is a great pick, Kevin Ginkle. He could easily be the closer. I like him. He's sort of like a, like you said, a boring pick as a reliever, but he might even have a, a clearer path to saves at some point. And then we took Jorge Mateo. Like um, I think you mentioned that he's out of options. So let's talk about Tyler Stevenson. Um, he, I think, killed it in the Arizona Fall League. And um, you know what? I'll let you just take it away. Uh, you know, he's a guy I was impressed with. I got to see him for the first time in 2019 with when he was playing with Chattanooga. Uh, he's, he's a guy that strikes me. He, he's not a threat to have to move away from catcher as a big leaguer. He's going to be there throughout at least the majority of his big league career. Uh, we kind of see him – we saw him pop a little bit offensively this season. Uh, you know, the Florida State League, of course, always is going to mask a little bit of the statistical output as far as power goes. Uh, but he was just really, really good offensively uh, in 2019. He, you know, a lot of good reports from the Arizona Fall League, like you mentioned. And the fact that the Reds were in on Yasmani Grandal and they didn't get him. And we, since then, we have not really heard many reports of them in the hunt or searching for a catcher. So right now that guy is Tucker Barnhart. To me, if they open the season with Tucker Barnhart as the guy, I think Stevenson could be their everyday catcher by summertime. I agree. Um, and in a, in a two-catcher format, that is ridiculously valuable for his current ADP. Yeah, I took him in our Dynasty League this uh, this um, this season, uh, the, your prospects 365 Dynasty League. So I have, I have faith in him. And I don't really have a catcher in that league. I, I think Reese McGuire. So um, that about wrapped up the draft, um, unless you want to discuss any of the other players in that round. But after that, we and let me know if you do. You want to talk about the post-700 guys? Yeah, that's what I was going to say, the post-700 guys. So after the draft, not everyone, not everyone replied, which is, which is fine. I, I, I'm more than thankful for them participating in the draft. But I just asked, hey, do you have anyone that are – any prospects or sort of your guys going post-700? And um, I'll just get, I'll just go through some of the other players, um, other, the other drafters. Colin said, Chance Adams, Brian went with Seth Beer and Nolan Gorman, drew out a couple. He said, Shane McClanahan on the Rays, Austin Adams on the, on the Mariners, Tyler Rogers on the Giants relievers, Jolie Rodriguez and Brady Singer as a potential starter on the, on the uh, Royals. Eric Cross went with Jake Cronenworth. I have him on a couple. (laughs) Um, Shelly with Shelly went with Khalil Lee. Um, on the Royals, Joe went with Brandon Bailey on the Orioles, who is a Rule 5 pick from the Astros. And uh, I think we discussed this in a previous pod, and I said anything coming from the Astros, world-class organization, um, great prospect scouting is basically good. Ramon Lariano was one of those players. Brandon Bailey could be the best player, best starter on the Orioles. Um, and we'll get into the rotation. Joe also said Edward Cabrera and Sterling Sharp. Uh, Mike, um, well, I won't get into your, Mike Curlin, he, he had one, I won't, you can talk about him, but my guys were guys. I actually uh, asked the NFBC to add to the list, which were Corey, Corey Abbott on the, um, on the Cubs. He's a starting pitcher and had put up great numbers in AAA and he's just a new Darvish arm, arm falling off away from getting starts in the big leagues potentially. And then Mark Payton, also an older prospect, like a, like a Sam Hilliard talkman type, who's just killed it last year in the minors and also on team USA. He was like, he was splitting time with drew waters on team USA. So that, that could, but again, um, he's in the reds, the reds picked him up from the A's and they're, they're already jam packed in the outfield. So I don't know. It's 
nothing more than a dart throw. So, um, Mike, why don't you talk about your guy that you that you um, selected, and then Ray, maybe go through your two guys that you selected, and anyone else that are sort of your guys that are prospects. So, Mike, I'm working on him. Getting <laughs> pull up his page now. Uh, Will Craig, and for me, it's um, proximity. He spent uh, he spent all of last year in AAA. He played 131 games and. Although he's not much for the batting average the last couple of years, we've seen it as high as 270. And I'm wondering, I mean, maybe you can enlighten me a little bit on this, Ray, but you see there's a spike in the K rate and less in the walk rate. So maybe he was a little more aggressive. And with that push came the power because the power jumped up to 20 home runs in 2018, 20, uh, 23 home runs in 2019. I'm not sure they're going to move off Josh Bell by any means at first base. But if they decide to sell, I mean, we're looking at a guy who's 25 years old in AAA and 250 and 25, although it's nothing special. That's what Mark Canna gives you, and you're getting him at that 300 pick roughly, you know, inside that top 300 or roughly around that 300, top 350 at the very least in NFBC formats. I'm not sure if it's ADP, but this is feels like very similar potential production, and you're getting it for free. I'm getting him in the final rounds of my drafts, and – Again, nothing special, not really, not real of, all of upside compared to like some of the other names you mentioned throughout this whole little process, but a guy that I tend to target because of proximity and legitimate potential to be playing sooner than later on the te- on that team, even though they aren't known to really handle the prospects so aggressively, i.e. Brian Hayes, but that's about it. That's all I got <laughs> when it comes to him. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, actually, um, oh, I was looking at, I was looking at Abraham Toro, but he's not outside the top 700. I actually have a few more. I, I have Scott Moss, who I also asked to get added there. He's, um, he came over in the Trevor Bauer trade to the Indians. Um, the Indians are trading off Kluber and like, they do have that spot open for Zach Plezak, presumably, but I think Scott Moss, he didn't have as good of a, nah, nah, man, I know you, you keep saying him, but no, it's Scott Moss over Hentages, mark my words. Um, I'll be cocky on that one. Um, maybe, he, maybe Ray can split the difference on that. He doesn't have as good numbers as, as Abbott on the Cubs, but he is walking into a more clear potential situation. And then the other guy I'm thinking of is um, Taylor Jones on the Astros, who's a first baseman. If anything happens to Guriel or Bregman or Correa, things could shift around there. And he's sort of like a AJ Reed type guy that could be better than AJ Reed was hopefully. <laughs> But yeah, AJ those are my Reed those are guy that no one wants AJ Reed. Exactly. All right. So Ray, um, any if you have any comments on the guys that we were talking about, maybe split the difference on Hentages and Scott Moss, and uh, maybe talk about some of your guys. So I'll, yeah, let me touch on the others first. Uh, just looking at the post seven hundred guys, I'll work from left to right according to what I'm seeing on the board. Uh, other than my guys first. Uh, you know, I don't really love Jake Cronenworth in, um, on NFBC because it, it's a weekly league. Uh, but I really like Cronenworth in daily leagues. He, he was part of the Tommy Pham trade. He's now in San Diego. I tweeted it the night he got traded, but I think he is going to be an excellent player for that extra roster spot this season. Uh, if you don't know about Cronenworth, he's a two-way player. He is a middle infielder. Uh, statistically – it looks like, you know, he is going to be adequate at the big league level as an offensive player. And he's also going to be a reliever. He's a kind of a two-pitch fastball curveball. There has been some viability there. Uh, that started last year, him uh, pitching in a relief role. 
he's someone who I will draft at the end of my daily links this year. And when he gets spot starts on the infield, whether that's it, most of that is going to be at second base, I would assume. I'll plug and play in there, whether that's in the middle infield or a utility spot. And then on days where he's not starting, I'll make sure he's in one of my pitcher roles because he should be a decent guy from a ratio standpoint when he is a relief pitcher this year. He's a guy that uh, crept into the back end of my top 200 prospect list. Uh, he's someone to keep an eye on, especially in daily leagues this year. Uh, the other guy that I'll talk a little bit about is Corey Abbott, uh, who you guys selected uh, as far as the post 700 ADP goes. He's a guy that I saw last summer uh, when he was in double A with the Tennessee Smokies. He's a guy that has kind of uh, altered his arsenal and his pitch usage, especially towards the end of last season. Uh, statistically, analytically, from a stat cast, a, st a spin rate standpoint, he is a guy that strikes me as he is going to be a future starting pitcher at the big league level. He's not going to be a top of the rotation guy. He's a guy that made the VIP portion, the 201 to 250 portion of my prospect list. And it's like you said, the Cubs do not have a ton of organizational depth at starting pitcher. So I do think he's going to play a role in Chicago at some point this season. Uh, and he's certainly someone who is worth targeting at the, in the end game of the NFBC format. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about my two guys. I uh, chose uh, Dean Creamer and Zach Lother. Both are pitchers in the Orioles system. Uh, I'm currently writing an, an article about underrated, um, underrated prospects who are going to have some, 80, uh, some redraft value this year. Uh, I know both of those are Oriole pitchers. I know that that means that they're going to be facing the Yankees. They're going to be facing the Red Sox. They're going to be facing uh, the Rays. But I think they're guys that when they debut, whether that's this summer, perhaps a little bit earlier with Creamer, I think they're going to be kind of underrated from a strikeout standpoint. I think Kramer could be someone who flirts with a strikeout per inning, even at the big league level. It's not going to be attract, overly attractive from an ERA standpoint. It's probably not going to be overly attractive from a whip standpoint. But when I'm getting for free at the very end of a draft and hold, a draft championship, I'm going to look for someone who can help me win a category if I need it. And Kramer strikes me as that type of guy. Lowther kind of the same way. He doesn't necessarily have the strikeout viability of Kramer, but he has a higher floor, I would say. He's kind of a bulldog. He does a lot of the small things right. He, is a, he has a lot of pitchability. Uh, he strikes me as a guy who could top out as a, a, you know, an SP4 in a big league rotation. But I think both of those guys are pitchers who are going to be up at some point this season. And that means that when you're drafting in these deep drafts and you don't get waiver moves you kind of kind of you try to rub on your crystal ball a little bit and try and see into the future and I do think I am fairly confident that both of those guys are going to have uh, somewhat of an impact in the Orioles rotation at the big league level later this season. Well said well said Ray um, do you have anyone else that you would um, any of your like do you have any other of your guys other than the ones that you mentioned and the ones that everyone else had mentioned is there anyone else that you want to touch on that you haven't even thought of? Well, I will if you if you're wanting me to split the difference on your argument with the Indians oh, yeah. pitchers. Yeah. Uh, I will say that. Uh, wait, remind me which side y'all are on, real quick. He has moss. I have hentages. How do you say hentages? No, he can't even say his name. Y'all are saying that this this person is going to secure the fifth spot, or this person is going 
to be the first person to take a rotation spot? Um, what's the difference between those? Well, two? like, are are you saying that are you saying that Moss is going to break camp as the Indians' fifth starting pitcher? No, I'm just saying. I'm what I'm saying, and I don't know if it's the same thing Mike's saying. Is I'm saying that I'm saying Scott Moss is going going to be the more valuable player in the NFBC leagues this year. This as, year. as as and as I I believe he's going to be. I think he has a better chance of being a starting pitcher than Hentages in the in the rotation. I mean, technically, you're throwing 18 innings in AAA, but if you look at last year, they both threw similar amount of innings. AAA barely being a difference maker, but. Eh. If, is, it, is it breaking a tie or is it making things more complicated if I say it's actually going to be Logan Allen who has more value than those two guys? <laughs> well, Logan Allen is going draft is being drafted ahead of them. And I've, and I've, I've had drafts where I've taken Logan Allen and Scott Moss and Zach Plezak. But um, I, I agree with you that Logan Allen beats both of them, but I think this is more of a round 50 dart throw. Like even after you've drafted Logan Allen, who would you rather Scott Moss or um, whatever that guy is, and we can't pronounce his name. Sam Hentges. <laughs> well, having having seen Scott Moss uh, in person, I saw him uh, before he got traded. I saw him at Double A with the Reds last season. I do think there might be a little bit of back end of a rotation there. I, the command is fringe at best. Uh, I have not seen Hentges or however you pronounce that name, so I can't really speak as far as an eyewitness account goes. But having seen Moss, and I do think the Indians are going to be looking to kind of recoup some of the value of the trade that they made last summer. I'll roll with him. Oh, yeah, Mike. That's fine. <laughs> okay, is there any – I know we've already – as always, we've ran way over time. And I've enjoyed I, this, though. So have I, but I don't know if Mike – I know. I, I've enjoyed I, it. I'm just – I have to wake up for shift in five hours, so. Okay, well <laughs> – that, yeah, exactly. Just a little behind the scenes. I'm a firefighter, so I wake up at 5 in the morning, get the shift. It starts at 7, so I snooze till about 5.30, but it's well, like a 45 minute drive. Be careful tomorrow. I don't want you to be tired. And, and... It's all good, man. I, I, I live on caffeine, man. Cool, cool. Um, all right, so I think we can wrap it up then. If we don't have, any, if we don't have anything else we'd, uh, um, we need to talk about. Um, uh, I, w- I want to say one more thing before we wrap it up. I want to, and I'm saying this because it seems like every time I make a statement about Luis Robert, (laughs) every White Sox fan in the entire world finds it. And then I get bombarded by these mentions on Twitter. When I said that there is a non-zero chance that Luis Robert becomes Luis Brinson, that is not what I believe. I do not believe that that is going to be the outcome. But I also fully believe it would, be, it would be an injustice if I took the information that I receive from organizational scouts and information that I receive from other writers in the prospect industry, and I do not use that to kind of create my evaluation and my outlook on Lewis Robert. And when these people who are employed by MLB organizations are saying, you know, the floor here is really, really low, then that's something that I have to keep in mind when I am creating my draft boards for these NFBC leagues. Like I said, I firmly believe that this year, I think Robert is going to hit around 250 in a perfect world. Maybe he hits 260, and that's going to mean that he's going to flirt with 2020. So I do not believe that he is Lewis Brinson. But for, for anybody to deny 
that there is an outside chance that that happens. I think you're just being naive. I just wanted to say that one more time. So White Sox fans, when you find this podcast and you listen to this, you cannot mention me on Twitter and say, oh, Ray Butler thinks that Lewis Robert is going to bust and be like Lewis Brinson because I did not say that. And I just you wanted totally to go said it. <laughs> I'm going to just go around saying that you said it. I'm going to start a rumor. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's why, that's why he's on team, team, team Moss, Mike. And so you just further solidified Team Moss. It's okay. I mean, I, I got it. I, that's why I'm just bitter. That's what this is. <laughs> All right, Brock, is there anything else you want to plug into, like in terms of your um, uh, Prospects 365? Like we know uh, to find you on Twitter at Prospects 365. And again, um, and I'm getting better at this thanking the guest thing. We, we thank you very much for being on. This was awesome. This was an awesome podcast. It went long as usual. Like we all, like I, I love talking about this stuff and pros, like the NFBC and when you add prospects in into it, like that's just what I love the most because I, I'm into dynasty and I'm into this. So this, I could, I could talk all night and I could make Mike burn in a fire tomorrow or something like that. Ow. Not, not going to win. No, literally. Ouch. No. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll it not to happen. I'll plug a few things uh, before we wrap it up. First of all, if you're not already, you need to follow the people that make prospects365.com what it is. And that's Tyler Spicer. You can follow him on Twitter at Tyler J Spicer and Shelly uh, Verostra. You can follow her on Twitter at, at Shelly V underscore six, four, three. Those are two phenomenal writers who research everything they write thoroughly. They are an asset to the prospect world. And our site could not be what it is without them. Uh, of course, make sure you're following at Prospects365 if you're not already. Make sure you bookmark the site. That's Prospects365.com. And I'll plug this one more time as well. I have a package that is currently uh, available for purchase that consists of more than 70,000 words of prospect information. That's eyewitness, uh, well-sourced information. Uh, that's a top 260 prospect list, my high, value, my high value active player list, my prospect obsession list, and for the first time ever, I'm actually publicizing for VIP members my 2020 starting pitcher rankings. You can, buy, you can purchase all of that. That's more than 70,000 words of content for a one-time payment of $20. You can check that out. There's a couple of different things you can check out on the site that will lead you to that process. Uh, more than 300 people have signed up for it this preseason. Uh, I highly suggest if you're someone who you crave information and you want to be as well informed as possible, you need to take advantage of that because it's going to begin trickling out on the site here in a few weeks. So you will no longer have the advantage of having it early. And I, I really, I really appreciate y'all having the desire to have me on. I always enjoy getting on these podcasts and hopefully giving some good information on the players that I've seen and kind of my thought process. And it's obvious that, you know, this podcast is certainly the arrow is pointing upward with all the success that you've already had. And I, I really appreciate you having me on as a guest. We, we, can't, thank, we can't thank you enough. I speak for Zach. <laughs> we can't. Thank you, you should speak for me. No, it's all good, man. But Ray, we do appreciate it. And Zach, you can go ahead and close this out. Get, get better at it. Go ahead. Continue. Uh, now you're putting me on the spot. Well, we've already sort of closed it. Well, thank you. Oh, we, like, again, I'm saying the same thing. Thank you. We really appreciate you coming on. And you know what? I never, when I, when I first started getting into fantasy baseball and dynasties, I would never expect to be talking to you at midnight <laughs> in our time right now about uh, an, an, an NFBC draft, but we appreciate you. We, I, I personally love everything, all the content you put out and like, like I can, I can vote for you. Like anyone that hasn't, 
heard of Prospects 365 should definitely check it out because Dynasty Leagues are becoming more popular. It's just really, really awesome stuff. So thank you, Ray. Um, thank you, Mike, for staying up this late. I hope stop, you, stop, I, harp, stop harping on it, man. I'm good. Gosh. Okay. Well, oh, but, I, but straight up, Mike, I, I told Zach when we were talking before we went on, I said, you know, me and you, I know who you are, of course, because of the podcast. We've been in some mocks together, but I have never really interacted with you one-on-one, even though we follow each other on Twitter. So I told Zach, I was really like looking, I know Zach because we've talked because we play in fantasy leagues together. I was really looking forward to getting to talk to you. So I'm really glad that you took some time. You stayed up well past your bedtime. So I really appreciate it. Man, I love this stuff. And anybody who gets a chance to talk to me, I like to hopefully highlight and show that I have a true passion for it. And although I'm not into the, I love prospects and prospecting like anybody else, but I can honestly say it's not my strength. So I love getting a chance to pick your brain and people like you, you know, I have air cross every so often I bother him behind the scenes and stuff, but I just, it, it gives me just that much more drive to kind of better myself and form a better knowledge base. So it really, I mean, the pleasure is all mine as well. It's I, I really enjoy it and appreciate your time just as much. So I, I'm glad we got a chance to do this. So now that people are probably sick of us going back and forth with gushing on each other <laughs> um, on, on that note. I love um, you, Mike. I, I love, love you, Mike. Too, man. I love you too. <laughs> on that note though, in all seriousness, guys, um, we appreciate you listening. You follow us on Twitter. Zach is at Zach Roto. I'm at Mike underscore Curlin. Ray is at, Prospe- at prospects three, six, five. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at draft champagne. And that's going to do it guys. We appreciate listening as always. And we will talk to you soon. 